Amazing. Uh, thank you so much, Josie, and good evening. Welcome. It's so good to be here tonight. Uh, tonight, I'm carrying on the beautiful resistance series that we're doing through the whole of Lent. And um, this is week five, so we're over halfway through. And it's been amazing uh, to journey through this book written by John Tyson through the whole of Lent. And uh, we're also digging deeper on Tuesday nights in groups live. And it's been amazing to have people digging deep through this season, putting down foundations in lockdown. So that when we come out of lockdown uh, in just a few months or even a few weeks, uh, we've put down the roots so that we can bear fruit in the new season. And um, I can't wait for that. And tonight my topic is this, love must resist hate. And we're going to be looking at this passage uh, from Luke, the book of Luke, and it's entitled, Love Your Enemies. Now, love and hate are words that in the world I think we use quite a lot today. And maybe we use them a little bit too much and in, in sort of weird ways. For example, uh, I might say, uh, I love my wife. I also love cookies. I also love that show on Netflix. I love football and I love God. Where does that sort of fit together in terms of my proportion of love? And then similarly, we use the word hate uh, to describe things that we don't like. Kids might say, I hate vegetables. Uh, My kids, I remember saying, I used to hate having my hair washed, all that sort of thing. And uh, we live in this world of love and hate and the tension between the two. Now, a little story about um, the word hate and my experience of it. I'm a big, big football fan, so I love football. And when I was in London, we used to go to football matches. Uh, I'm a big Tottenham fan. We used to go to White Hart Lane uh, and and support Tottenham. And one of the biggest football matches of the season for Tottenham was when we played Arsenal. Big North London derby, two teams in the same part of London. And all the crowd would gather. And there's a moment in Tottenham, when Tottenham play Arsenal, where the fans just all stand up and sing this. And I've actually got my scarf tonight, so I thought I'd represent Spurs. They stand up and they go, stand up if you hate Arsenal, stand up if you hate Arsenal. And they would just sort of go on like this for ages and ages. Now, me and my friends um, used to go to Tottenham and we sort of felt quite uncomfortable at this moment because whilst we supported Tottenham and we wanted them to win and we thought they were the better team than Arsenal, we had this sort of like feeling of real uncomfortableness saying, can we actually say these, can we actually sing these words? Like, do we, do we actually hate people that support the other team? That feels quite strong and quite weird. And um, I, I think generally what we do is things that make us feel good, we love. And things that we think make us feel bad or negative, uh, negative feelings, we say that we hate. And in this season at the moment, over the last year, through the whole of the pandemic, I think we've um, probably spent more time at home with people, maybe our housemates, maybe our families. And, and it's, it's sort of, I think what COVID has done, what lockdown has done, is almost put a magnifying glass on us as a society throughout the whole world, whether it's in our house or worldwide. And I think lockdown has been like a magnifying glass for both the best of us and the worst of us. So where there was love and care and compassion, that has been highlighted and magnified in lockdown. But also on the flip side, where there has been hatred and rage and injustice and anger, I think that has also been magnified and raised to the surface. We're living through not just the biggest health crisis of the last hundred years, but I also believe we're living through a bit of a social pandemic as well of exposed hatred. 
And we've seen the rise of race-related hate crimes. We've seen uh, the shocking and appalling events uh, in racial injustice, in political tensions, in um, knife crime. We've seen moments of rage and anger and hatred rise. But today, what I'd love to discover tonight is a deeper understanding and experience of love. Because how you treat others matters, how you speak to others matters, and how you think internally about other people matters. Jesus says in this passage, anyone can love people that love you. That's, that's, that's obvious, that comes naturally. But I want you to love your enemies. Jesus is speaking to a crowd that knew the greatest commandment, to love your neighbour. And what he's doing here is adding, not just neighbours, he's adding enemies into that crowd. Those people who persecute you, those people who aren't nice to you, who you would call your enemies. Jesus is saying, love your neighbours and your enemies. But he's saying, don't be violent, don't be revengeful, don't, don't have that vengeance and that rage and that hate in you. But to come up and respond with a different way, a beautiful and a creative resistance. And we're going to look at this tonight, uh, uh, loving our enemies and what that means. And I'm going to go through three different things tonight. Uh, the three things are this, the who, who are the enemies, how do we love them, and why do we love them? So firstly then, who are the enemies that Jesus is talking about in this passage? Well, this, is, this comes from the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous teaching of Jesus. And we've, we've probably heard this teaching many, many times. If you've been around church, it's something that we uh, teach and respond to and think about many, many times. But the problem is, if we, the more we hear it, the more familiar it becomes, we lose some of its radical and life-changing meaning. Uh, just a little bit of history then, that, that about what's going on when Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. Over the course of their history, the Jewish people have been under uh, different rules and um, oppression they found um, freedom in the Maccabean Rebellion. Then they defeated a guy called Antiochus, Antiochus sorry, who was a brutal, brutal leader, who persecuted the people of God, who desecrated the temple, who um, demanded pagan worship to other gods. Then there was a guy called Mattathias, and his son, who had an amazing name, he was called this, Judas the Hammer. I wonder how he got that name. Um, they rose up and re-established the law and the priesthood so that they could restore worship. But then along came the Romans. And you don't need to have a history degree to realise the, the oppression, the violent, the strength of the Roman Empire. And the people of God, the Jews at this time, first century Palestine, were being subjected to, to a violent regime. They'd probably had to move house, they'd had their land taken away, their freedom of movement was restricted. They weren't able to work, maybe not able to worship as they were longing to. And uh, the Old Testament had prophesied, the prophets of old had prophesied the Messiah, the one that was going to free them from oppression. They were hoping for another uprising, maybe a physical uprising, the greatest fight against the Romans, potentially. They were looking for a brave heart, like a militant-type figure. So into this world of oppression and explo exploitation and emotions, there was this ex ex expectation, and Jesus was announced as the Messiah. So the enemies that Jesus was referring to are these Roman soldiers 
Probably they, they hated the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, because of the oppression and the, the torment that they were going under, probably hated them back. And then Jesus starts to preach a message that they were not expecting. Jesus, uh, the people were probably expecting Jesus to say, come on, let's gather the people and let's rise up and fight against the Romans. But Jesus here starts to speak about another kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which is coming to earth that he is bringing in human form from God. Jesus was already known to be this miracle worker, the person that could heal the sick and make the blind see and cast out demons. So the, the people of God were probably thinking, well, if he could do that, then imagine what he could do to the Romans. So that is the who. Who are the enemies? Probably, most of all, the Roman Empire. Secondly, how does Jesus tell his followers, his audience then, to treat uh, the Romans? Well, in this passage in verse 27 and verse 28, it says uh, that we are to do, or the people of God and, and us are to do four things. So let's look at them right now tonight. Jesus says, uh, firstly, to love your enemies. Love your enemies. That's the one we know and think about quite a lot. Secondly, uh, do good to those who hate you. Thirdly, bless those who curse you. And then pray for those who mistreat you. Quite a list there. Love do good, bless, and pray. To be proactive in showing another way of how to treat our enemies. Now, I think, if you look at this list and think in my own human strength, in my own human strength, if I'm thinking about an enemy, someone that I don't like, or someone that just totally winds me up and I just can't stand, and maybe you are thinking of that person right now. Uh, the person at work, maybe, that just irritates you and you can't, uh, whatever it is. Maybe it's someone in your family, even. Someone that you might even call your enemy. Is, is your first response to say, do you know what, I love them. I, I totally love them. I think, actually, our human instinctive response in our human struggle is probably the other way around. I think we would probably think about our enemies and think, oh God, I've got to, I really need to change my way. Do you know what, I'm going to start by praying, because at least I can do that from home when they're a long, long way away, and I can, I can think, and I'm going to pray for them. And, and I can do that from a distance, and Lord, would you, yeah, just be with that person, thank you, amen. And then you might think, okay, I've prayed for them at least once. I could probably now muster the courage to say, Lord, would you bless them? Lord, I just pray a blessing on them. If I've prayed enough, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I could just about do that. And then when you've prayed enough and you've thought, Lord, I, I really want to bless them, the, the next thing you might think is, is doing good. You might think, yeah, I could probably do something nice for them if I really, really tried. And then finally, finally, after you've done that, you've prayed, you've blessed, you've maybe done a little bit of good, you maybe made them a cup of coffee at work, whatever it is, you then think, oh, yeah, I think I could just about love them. But do you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is turning our human, instinctive, natural way of loving our enemies and turning it around the other way and saying, I want you to start with a change of heart by loving them. And from that, all of the rest will come. You will be able to do good, treat them well, pray for them and bless them. So that's, that's how Jesus asks his people to respond and asks us to respond to love our enemies. And then after that, the next verse um, in the passage, verse 29, we come across these situations that Jesus is giving us and giving his people and giving a little moment of a situation and a response of how they are to respond. And the three situations are this. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, 
And the other one is, the second one is, if someone asks you for your coat. And then the third one is actually found in the parallel passage in Matthew 5. It's this, if someone forces you to go one mile. And Jesus gives his audience some practical ways here of how to respond. And to not let hatred, not let hate take over and rise up but to respond in a different, countercultural, transformational way. And he says this, the three responses to, if someone strikes you on the cheek, it's to turn the other cheek, one we know well. If someone asks you for your coat, also give them your tunic. And then the third one, if someone asks you for a, to go a mile, go an extra mile. Now, these are well-known instructions, and you, and you sort of hear these phrases even today. Go the extra mile, try harder, turn the other cheek, you know, be, be nice, don't retaliate. But actually, the, the situations and the scenarios here are Jesus creating a creative and a beautiful resistance. And I'd love to explore this right now. Um, I promised this this morning, and we're going to do this. So I'd love to invite Aaron back up to the stage. I'm going to give Aaron a little round of applause. Aaron is going to be, Aaron is going to be uh, someone who is subject to my um, anger. So I'm, I'm the Roman soldier. Aaron, you're the sort of Jewish citizen. You might also be a slave if I'm the slave master. You might just be someone that, that is being exploited at this moment. Okay. So we're going to act out these three things. And the first one we're going to act out is this. This is a scenario. So when someone strikes you on the right cheek, Aaron, point to your right cheek. Well done, that's good. So if someone, point, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the boss, I'm the slave driver, I might be the master, Aaron is the citizen, he's the, he's the slave, he's a lower status than me. So I'm going to strike him on your right cheek, I'm not actually going to strike you, I'm going to strike your right cheek like that. And I've slapped him on the back of my hand with, onto his right cheek because I've treated him as a lower citizen. Now, Aaron, Jesus says, turn the other cheek, what does that mean? Okay, he's now going to show me his left cheek. Now, in this, in this situation, uh, what would have happened is uh, a fight would have, would have taken place. And the fight would continue until the person gave up. Aaron clearly is not giving up here. He's saying, strike me again. Come on, strike me again. But because he's turned his cheek, I can't strike him again with my right hand because he's opened up his left cheek. His left cheek is showing me there. Now, I wouldn't use my left hand in first century culture. This was all to do with cleaning, self, it was hygiene, it was for dirty purposes. So I suddenly have to think, hang on a minute, I'm in an awkward situation here. I've got, if I want to sort of show him my power again, I've got to strike him again. But this time, I've got to use my fist. Now, in, in first century culture, two equals would fight with fists. So suddenly Aaron is changing the power dynamic. As a, as a victim, he's elevating his status and saying, if you want to hit me again, you've got to hit me as an equal. So say, do some like, come on, there you go. So suddenly he's turned his cheek. I've got to strike him with my right hand on his left cheek and treat him as an equal. The victim here is causing a scene. It's raising his status and saying, don't treat me as a slave. Don't treat me as an inferior. Treat me as an equal. Brilliant, well done. That's the first one. Uh, the second one is this, if someone asks you for your coat, give them your tunic also. Now, fortunately I've brought my tunic and my coat to church, which is amazing. Uh, so Aaron, here's your tunic. That is your, essentially the tunic uh, is your undergarment, it's like your underwear in first century, okay? So it's like, um, there you go, there's, there's your pants, and there's, that's your coat. So... Aaron, as a citizen here, is being sued for his coat, okay? So, so I'm maybe a lawyer, or, or I've sort of demanded something, he owes me some money. I say, Aaron, you owe me some money. 
Uh, so I'm going to demand, you, uh, demand your coat off you because that's worth some money to me. So Aaron, give me your coat, please. I'm going to, actually, I'm going to demand it. Give me your coat. Okay, so Aaron gives me his coat and he feels a bit of injustice going on. He feels like, hang on, I, I didn't really owe him my coat. And what, he then, what Jesus then says, if you feel the injustice of that, Give them your tunic, which is essentially saying, give them everything. Give them your underwear. Give them the whole thing. So I'm not going to ask you to take any more clothes off Aaron, but that's basically what, what this has done is saying, give them your outer coat and give them your inner coat. Give them everything. If you feel like there's an injustice going on, give it all, because then the, the victim is standing there naked. Okay, now Aaron's not standing there naked, fortunately. Um, but what... What Jesus is saying is expose the sin, expose the injustice because you've been treated badly. Now in the first century culture, what would happen at this moment is nakedness would actually be, the shame for me would be to see someone totally naked. I'd be like, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to ask you for all of it, I just asked you for your coat not the whole thing. So suddenly the perpetrator, me as the perpetrator, I'm standing there like this in a crowd and a bit of a scene with, with both your outer garments and it looks like I have totally sued you for everything. So suddenly the shame is on me. The power dynamic has been changed. Aaron's status has been raised as an equal. Brilliant. Now the third one. Um, the third one is this. If someone asks you to go a mile, go the extra mile. Now, here we go. If someone went, asked you to go for a mile, it was a Roman soldier who is asking you to carry their pack. Now, this is my pack. This is full of study Bibles. Um, so take this, Aaron. As a Jewish citizen, you, by law, had to carry a Roman soldier's pack. If a Roman soldier asked you to carry your pack, you would have to carry it for a mile. So Aaron, get going for a mile. These packs were heavy. They were like full of, uh, I don't know, armour, soldier stuff. I don't know. Aaron, you look a bit too happy. Um, that's it. You're struggling for a mile with this pack. A Roman soldier by law could demand this. And a Jewish citizen, you might be heading one way to the, to the shop or somewhere, and suddenly a Roman soldier said, no, carry my pack and go this way. And at the end of that mile, this is very good acting, Aaron. So this is totally unrehearsed, but look at his Oscar-winning skills. This is, at the end of the mile, what would happen is this. The Roman soldier had to take it back because he could only ask for one mile at a time. He would then have to pass it to another person if he wanted someone else to carry it. So at the end of the mile, Aaron might say, I've done a mile, here we go. And what Jesus is saying is, no, go an extra mile. Go an extra mile. So Aaron, you've got to keep moving. Keep, as if you've marched a mile and you're going to do another mile. Because again, what's happening here is he's in the second mile, he's chosen to do it as a free person. He's saying, I'm willingly going to love and choose to love this Roman soldier by going an extra mile. But at the same time, what he's doing is exposing the perpetrator, exposing maybe the injustice of being treated like a slave. Because the first mile might have been full of insults and a bit of, maybe a bit of whipping and flogging, maybe a bit of spitting and curses and insults being thrown at him. But suddenly, in the second mile, the shame is on the perpetrator on the Roman soldier. Brilliant, Aaron, you can take that off because I realise it's actually, it's actually quite heavy. It's, <laughs> thank you so much. Let's give Aaron a big round of applause. Absolutely amazing. Thank you, Aaron. So can you see how you can misunderstand these three little commands to turn the other cheek, 
to give your tunic also and to go the extra mile. It's not Jesus saying, be a human doormat. It's not Jesus saying, be a walkover, be a pushover. Come on, just hit me again. Take everything I've got. I don't care. I don't like it anyway. I don't need it. Jesus is doing this to change the power dynamic that's going on. He's saying, you are, you are equals. You need, to be, you need to raise your status and your dignity and your pride so that you can treat your um, enemies and love your enemies well. So that was just a, a little illustration. I did promise that this morning, and I'm, I'm glad we did it, because it's, it's interesting just to think that Jesus is speaking into that culture about the people who are oppressed, about how to love their enemies. It's not violent, it's not vengeful, it's not rageful, it's not hate. It is love, and it is a beautiful resistance. So then lastly, why did Jesus ask us to do all these things? Why, why turn the other cheek? Why uh, give all that you've got? Why, why um, go the extra mile? It's because uh, Jesus, at the end of his life, shows us the ultimate, ultimate beautiful resistance. Jesus says at the end of his life, on the cross, at the end of the Luke, he says this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is the ultimate compassion, the ultimate beautiful creative resistance. God's love shown to us in the person of Jesus. And this love could actually be defined. God's love for us, shown to us in the person of Jesus, could be defined as the ultimate enemy love. Because in Colossians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, it says this, You once were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. God's love for us is shown fully in the person of Jesus. His life, his death on the cross, his resurrection gives us a redefinition of true, real and deep love. So why should we love our enemies? Well, it's because God loves us as once were enemies and now as that passage says we are called children of God not treated like enemies but adopted into the family of God we didn't get what we deserved from God he didn't respond in the way that he might as a as a just judge and in the bible it says at the end of the bible john uh, 1 john says this we love because God first loved us. And again, in the moment where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God is showing us a redefinition of love, love that the world had never seen before. And we are to show the world love that they have never seen before. Not the normal love that we would see, not the sort of Valentine's Day romantic love, but supernatural, sacrificial love that loves our enemies. And what I find fascinating about Jesus speaking here, speaking to his followers about how to respond to the oppression and the hatred and the, the, the hate of the Roman soldiers against them, was that it was the Roman soldiers that took Jesus to the cross. It was them that nailed him to the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. But then, even more interestingly, as the birth of the early church spread around the Roman Empire 
as the early Christians and the church leaders were martyred and tortured and persecuted and crucified for spreading the truth in the gospel of Jesus. They were, they were persecuted by the Roman Empire. And as every time they did that, they were, they were saying, Father, forgive them, forgive them, forgive my persecutor, forgive my enemy. They don't know what they're doing. And the early church, the church leaders, effectively loved the Roman Empire to its knees. So much so that probably 300 years later, around 300 years later, the Roman Empire adopted Christianity as its religion. They loved the Roman Empire so much that it changed its ways. And God longs to do a work in our hearts. The Bible calls it a metanoia, a change of your heart's attitude. Something that you can't do in your own strength, but can only do with the power of God. And I believe that is the truth that we need to know now. In the division, the hatred, the injustice that we see around the world, sadly even today. That we've seen rise up so much in the last year because of the exposure of all the craziness that's gone on. We need to know a love, a sacrificial love that loved enemies, that loves us, that we can love our enemies. And it's only when the world sees this love, uh, God's love shown to us in Jesus, that this world will be transformed. When we see this love, I believe that uh, communities can be restored, marriages can be healed, um, I don't know, past hurts will be forgiven even. We will see love resisting hate. We will see that enemy love shown to us. We will see the kingdom of God breaking through on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Well, um, guys, we are going to respond in a moment in worship, but I'd love us just to pray. And the first thing I'd love us, we're going to respond and have some time of ministry uh, in a second. But first, what I'd love us to do is just to maybe consider someone or a situation that we know where we need uh, either a, a metanoia, a change of heart that we know we can't do on ourselves. You might think of someone that someone might spring to mind immediately. Maybe it's a friend or a colleague or a, a family member where you just need that change of heart. Or maybe it's a situation, it's an injustice in the world that just it, like, sort of anger, righteous anger rises up in you. And you, you just want to respond and you want to do something uh, tonight. So why don't I pray and then Dave and Flo are going to lead us in worship. So let's just take a moment and you might like to hold that person or that situation before God right now. I think for some of you, you know exactly who that person is and you've been struggling with a real sense of, of hatred almost. And tonight God wants, to, wants you to know that love must resist hate and can resist hate because love will always win. Jesus showed us that. And so, Father, we hold before you now situations and people and, and some might be even really, really close to us. Some of the closest family members where we just feel, God, tonight we need a change of heart, a metanoia, a changing in, in how we respond, how we love and speak to and think about these people. So, God, tonight as we worship you, we pray that you would change our hearts and, and fill us now as we worship you. Speak to us, God, we pray. Amen.